Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Locked Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. Uh, this is a definitely a weird episode. So I'm out at Ledgestone. I'm in Morton, Illinois right now, uh, and I have Trevor on the phone in my ears, and he's recording this separately. So you can probably see like a little split screen of both of us right now. Um, so definitely the weirdest way we've recorded Grip Lock to date. But uh, yeah, so Trevor... Give me a little update. How are things going going back home? Is the is the shop still in one piece? Well, you know, we had an early scare uh, when the when the floodgates opened about a day after you left. <laughs> but since since then, you know, I had to take the boat in a few times to get you know from disc to disc. But since then, it's it's been smooth sailing. You know, uh, so far, you know, I've built a lot of different structures out of boxes <laughs> yeah. in my free time. I saw the throne. Um, yeah, the throne is, is one of them. There's been a few more. I built a bed at one point. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, I've been keeping busy. It's, uh, things have been going well though. We definitely miss you back at the office, you know, me and the fish. <laughs> you and sushi. Me and sushi, the fish. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, well I'll be back in town next week so the next podcast we'll be able to get back to our normal normal quality and everything um but you know i've been out on the road i did some coverage for idlewild as you've probably seen on our youtube channel if you haven't go check it out and then this week i'm doing coverage for um ledgestone uh but i think we want to start off just kind of talking about idlewild um we'll talk through the results super fast and then i can kind of give some insights into stuff i was noticing while i was out there as well as some storylines that i think came up from the results and just um, a few talking points that I wanted to bring up from, from things that I was noticing with the results. So I'll quickly run through the MPO side and, and then uh, we'll talk about a few things on the MPO side and then we'll talk a little bit more about FPO because I think this tournament brought up something that I really want to touch on with the FPO. Um, so on the MPO side, we had Eagle taking it down by two strokes over Chris Dickerson and then Andrew Marweed coming in third place. Um, I was filming. Of, I was filming Brody's bit no, card. Bit out of nowhere there. Yeah, I was filming Brody's card round one, and this dude was tearing the course up. Like his forehand is kind of next level stuff. I mean, have you heard his name before? I've heard that. I've heard that name before, and I'm trying to think of like maybe I've watched him on coverage, um, but I've definitely heard the name. Yeah, he was his forehand, which this course did play to forehands. Um, you probably, sure. you know, you might have seen Brody throwing a lot of them, and people were asking why. A, he just felt comfortable with it. B, this course, you know, if you have a good forehand, a good straight pushing forehand with a soft finish, this course really played to it, and that's what Andrew had. Um, he was throwing, you know, bomb forehands off the tee. They were going extremely straight and having, you know, good soft predictable finishes, and then his upshots were on point all week. So, you know, no surprise for me to see him come in third because I watched him play. But if I was sitting at home, that would be a name that, you know, most people aren't going to recognize. So that's kind of a exciting to see someone someone like that coming in the top three there, especially at such a stacked Is field. Is he a young guy? Uh, he seemed about my age. I, I don't know his exact okay. age, but he seemed in low low 20s, somewhere in there. All right. So That's good stuff. Yeah, and he's on Team Innova, um, so he's already been picked up. And like uh, He's a decent player. I've heard his name before, but it was kind of cool to see him play round one and then see him continue his, his solid play the rest of the rounds. Um, yeah. You know, speaking of solid play, we also had Chris Dickerson and Ricky both set new course records the final round at 14 under par, which is insane. Chris... Yeah, that was absurd. Chris actually had a shot at the win, A, but B... He had a pretty legitimate shot at 18 under because he was 14 down going into, or no, he was 13 down, excuse me, going into hole 15, yeah. I think, which he, you know. Yeah, I think he was, I know he was nine down through nine yeah. when I checked at one point. He had two eagles that round, but I, was, I think. Yeah, he did, yeah. And so, I mean, in my head, I was looking at it 13 down thinking if he birdies 15, uh, 16 is a very eagleable hole, especially if you're as on as he was. And 17 is pretty eagleable, but realistically, he could have went birdie, eagle, birdie, birdie, um, or birdie, birdie, eagle, birdie, and finished 18 under on that course, which would have been absolutely insane. But, you know, 14 down is still insane. The, the course record was set at 12 down by KJ last year, so to have it already be broken by two this year um, was pretty interesting. And it kind of brings me to, yeah, sure. to my first thing I noticed was... The course, there's a few changes on the course. 
that should have made the course play a little bit harder. Pins were moved back a little bit farther, stuff like that. But the course was playing easier, um, which was weird. Did you have a chance mm-hmm. to, to watch much coverage of it? I did. And normally I remember watching coverage in the past and seeing a lot more big numbers and a lot, certainly not even necessarily the big number, because I feel like the big number factor was still there a bit, but there was just a lot more birdies happening Yeah, um, than normal. Like seeing Chris Dickerson go nine down through nine. And I know Paul, at least the first two rounds, was getting like the first three holes. Every round he uh, was getting, three down through four, I believe. Yeah. So I was, yeah, that's what was shocking me because that course is one of the few courses left on tour that is pretty heavy woods. Um, and if you hit, you know, a tree at the wrong angle, you're shooting a hundred feet in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was, I was shocked to see the scores being that low. Yeah. I, I don't know what exactly happened because it's not like just the top guys were playing better. The whole field was showing an improvement. Uh, I looked up the the cash line last year was plus one for the tournament, and the cash line mm. this year was negative five. So six strokes you had to shoot six wow. strokes better to cash this year, which is crazy. Um, so I don't know. Is that do you think that was just the field playing better, or did you notice something in the course? So, the thing is, the the changes I noticed in the course all made the course harder. So that's what was confusing mm. to me. It's like hole two, they pushed the basket a solid forty to fifty feet further back and a little bit closer to the water. Um, I believe it's hole two. Yeah. One of the holes they did that. Um, and, and and changes like that that were made that, you know, when we were playing the practice round, you were thinking, oh, this course is going to play a little bit harder. Even hole 11, the easy birdie or die hole, they left the FPO playing on the old tee, but the MPO, they moved the tee back uh, an extra 60, 70 feet. Um, and stuff like that, that, you know, during the practice rounds, you were actually looking at the course thinking, this might play a stroke or two harder this year. And here it is playing a few strokes easier. So it, I, yeah, I don't know if to it's me that I don't, that's yeah. that's discouraging for me <laughs> for like course designers, because I think Idlewild, like I said, is one of the few courses left on tour that's wooded mm-hmm. and can be difficult without a ton of effort because of the natural terrain. And yeah. to see guys shoot 14 down like that, that's a bit discouraging as a course designer, because now you're thinking, what the heck do I have to do? Yeah, I mean, the other course on tour that's like that we're playing this week, which is Northwoods Gold, which we'll talk about that coming up yeah. um, when we get into our Ledgestone. But um, it was definitely it was definitely interesting. I don't I don't really know what went into it to make it play easier. Part of me is wondering if it's just that, you know, this course to a certain degree is a little bit newer to the tour. People have been playing Ottawa for a while, but as far as a pro tour, like I think this is only Paul's second or third time out here. So I'm wondering if that's the same for other players and the more they come out here, now they know the course a little bit more and know the landing zones and and are a little more comfortable with it. That's all I could think of. But, you know, yeah. regardless, the that's play true. was elevated this week to a level that that course hadn't seen before. So it was very impressive. Yeah. Um, which I did just mention Paul's name and... A lot of people, you know, he he had the win in his pocket. If you haven't watched the coverage, yeah, I, it was Paul's win, period. A, t- a two-stroke lead for Paul Macbeth in the last, I don't know, you know, eight years is a much, as much as a certainty as you really get in our sport. And I would, I'm curious if anybody's listening and wants to find the stat for me and, and send it to me on Discord or whatever – I want to know how many times in Paul Macbeth's career has he had a 36-hole lead and lost, especially in a three-round tournament yeah. where he's got two – I think he had what? He had two strokes, right? Um, two strokes and one round to play, and the guys on his heels immediately were you know, Big Jam, Hammus, guys who are good players but not mm-hmm. the type of killer that you're worried about tracking down Paul. Yeah. Um, obviously Eagle was quite a few back to the point where all Paul had to do was shoot an okay round, you know, just play safe, good golf and that's a win. And so I was, you know, I pretty much already wrapped that up in my mind. Um, I was shocked, especially because he didn't start bad. No, he he got the three of the first four again. Yeah. He started out on track Yeah, and I thought he was just going to get into cruise control, but I mean, and that does speak to the difficulty of the course to where it is a course that, you have to continually hit lines and keep your focus or else you can um, take bad scores 
Um, but yeah, I was I was definitely pretty shocked. I did. I talked to him basically immediately after his round. We went to the gas station because he was waiting for Hannah to finish up, and you know I didn't bring it up because I didn't like. I, you never know when. When Paul loses, he's always in like a better yeah. mood than you would expect. But in my head, I expect the mood like if I just lost a tournament, where I would be like ticked off. I don't want anyone talking to me. Yeah, that's not Paul. But I always just picture that's what Paul's gonna be like. And so we get in the car, and he's like, "I just handed that tournament away." And I'm like, "Yeah, what happened?" And he said that on he said the moment that he thinks back through the round, the moment that he thinks he lost the tournament was on I think he said it was hole two. Um. There was a hole early in the round that he had gained strokes on players and he decided to lay up a putt. And and mm. mentally that put him in cruise control when he said, I couldn't go in cruise control on this course, but he said that mentally put me in, I need to conserve my lead instead of need, I need to keep my foot on the gas pedal. And so he said by the mm. time that I, the players were you know, killing it, crushing the course my mentality was already in conserve my lead and it was too hard for me to switch back mentalities basically, Um, which I thought that was a very interesting take, you know, but even on hole 16, he did a very Paul thing, which is to bang a 80, 90 foot Eagle putt. Yeah. Crazy. um, To make it where you're like, Oh, if he birdies 17, you know, Eagle's going to be seeing that he birdies 17 because Eagle's on the green of 17, I believe putting for birdie. And Paul was on, that was when Paul hit the putt. So you hear the chains, there's no gallery, but there was still like the media crew. I was there, Brody was there as part of media. There was a lot of media there, regardless. Uh, And a few players were kind of lingering around to watch. So there was 15, 20 people, uh, and they all made noise and said like, yeah, Paul, let's go. So Eagle knew what had just happened. Um, Mm -hmm. But... So you knew that put pressure on Eagle going into 18, which is a very, very hard hole to, to birdie. Uh, even par on that hole is great. So to me, I was thinking if Paul birdie 17 while Eagle's walking up 18, Paul still won. Uh, and then he had uh, his shot first off the tee on 17, hit early, kicked left. The flagger gave him the red flag. Ends up he was just shy, but then you know he had already in his head been like, oh, I'm OB. He walks up to it, turns out he's inbounds, throws an aggressive shot that hits another tree, goes OB, and that was the tournament. You know, it was it was done. Um, yeah. And, I mean, we've talked about this before. Paul's mindset, you know, if he's not winning a tournament, you know, he he doesn't care. Doesn't care. Yeah, if he, if, yeah. He's, if he comes in second, that's the same as coming in 10th, 20th, whatever. Because really. he's, he's, he's there to win the tournament. So if he's not winning the tournament, yeah. it's not that it doesn't mean anything to him, but he's like, eh, whatever. So as soon as, you know, you could see the shift once he knew officially the tournament was out of his grasp, you could see, and if you watch the coverage, I'm sure you can see it, you could see the shift in Paul to just being like upset, like I just gave that tournament away. Uh, and so whole, the rest is hole 17 and hole 18. He just wasn't in it the same, which is why I think he dropped lower than he probably could have. He probably could have still fought and stayed in second or third or whatever, but he, he just dropped lower. But I thought it was interesting to hear hear him talk about his mindset like that, like that early in the round to hear him shift his mindset to conserving a lead and him count yeah. that as what lost in the tournament was very interesting. I think that speaks to his ability to read the game and kind of understand you know, um, how his, you know, mind game works because, you know, for me, if I'm looking back at a round and okay, where did I lose this tournament? It's probably, you know, Oh, I took a bogey on this hole when I had momentum going, Yeah. you know, the fact that, you know, he's good looking back to a place that he doesn't, he didn't really mess up anything except for his strategy is the only thing that he changed. Um, you know, that's, that's super interesting. And, that just shows you like the level of focus you have to have to win. Mm -hmm. You know, the sport is not where it was before where, you know, the best players could just win because they were the best players. You have to, you have to focus for, you know, however many holes there is. Um, And, you know, just a little lapse and even just saying, deciding to lay up that could completely throw off your game. And that's, it's very fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I was very just here when he said that. I was like, "Holy cow!" Like I've never thought of it. 
I've never thought of it that way. Like I've never probably just because I haven't been in that position enough to where yeah. I don't even know what my mental shift would happen of like, oh, I'm conserving a lead versus oh, I'm going for this cuz I've never Paul just has been there so much that I guess he has two game styles of conserve, yeah. you know, just stay in front or foot on the gas. When I'm laying up putts, it's because there's a 10 mile an hour headwind and I'm 30 feet away from the basket. <laughs> not, not because I'm trying to cruise to a, a win on the pro tour. So yeah. I would not know. He also did mention that going into the round, um, he was looking at the cards and he was pretty certain. He's like, I, I need to, I don't need to really, not that he didn't need to worry about his card, but he said, I knew if someone beat me, it wasn't coming from my card is what he said. Cause he's, you know, basically if, cause if you look at his card, he, he played to average, to his card his card the i think germ won his card with yeah. a four under and paul shot three under or something like that yeah his card was pretty weak yeah so he, he played to what his card Which is dangerous exactly that might have played into it because if he's playing with you know the guys um those like if he's playing with guys that he's more worried about maybe he's not laying up that putt um, that's why a chase card can be an advantage sometimes mm-hmm. because you can focus on your round, not worry about catching a guy who's on your card exactly. and just let the results play it. And, you know, that's how, you know, in theory, you should always think that way. You know, I'm playing against the course, not the guy next to me, but it does, when you get into those final rounds, you know, where everybody is, it does kind of turn into a bit more of a chess mm-hmm. match. Um, but I think that definitely had something to do with it. Cause when I saw his card for the final round, I was like, None of those guys are the ones he has to worry yeah. about. I think so. I think he knew that going in, but it's still different when you have to. And the U disc live scoring the final round was a little bit all over the place. Like hole eighteen, hole seventeen, you know, eagle at one point it was circle two OB putting for par, and then it was circle two putting for eagle, and then it was circle two putting for birdie, and then it was circle one putting for birdie, all while Paul's just trying to make an eagle putt. So it was hard to rely on what is exactly happening with the U-Disc. You know, it was probably just off the tee. The guy couldn't tell if Eagle was OB, Circle 2, whatever. But the, yeah. it changes things because if Paul or even Eagle, if they're able to see each other's shots and play shot for shot, then Paul conserving a lead, you know, that mindset is a lot easier because now he can see who he's conserving the lead over versus if he shifted to that conserve a lead mindset, like he said, and he's conserving the lead over the players on his card, he did that. You know what I mean? Right. He accomplished right. what his mindset was looking just at his card, but his card wasn't the ones you had to worry about. So um, that's also yeah. something that's very interesting is, you know, looking at how do you how do you go about, you know, trying to stay in front of players that you can't see and you don't know what they have done until they've already done it. It's very uh, interesting. All right, so uh, we had a little cut there, uh, some technical difficulties, but we're going into FPO side, uh, wrapping up the MPO side there. Um, on the FPO side, we had Ellen Widboom taking it down. She won by one over Sarah Hokum, uh, and then we had Katrina Allen coming in third. Um, which, first off, Ellen Widboom taking this down was kind of awesome. Um, pretty sick. Yeah. You know, she had a very emotional moment kind of on the final green talking about how, you know, she's a little bit older than a lot of the FPO field. She hasn't really had her breakout win. She hasn't really had, you know, this breakout moment. Um, and so this year she really just changed her diet. She started working out more, uh, all of that. And, um, you know, it, it started taking disc golf a lot more serious, which, which led to this, you know, this, this win. Uh, and so to kind of see the culmination of all her efforts led to her being very, very emotional, which is just, you know, awesome for her. Awesome for the sport. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a big point to be seen there. Um, and she, you know, she kind of took on the attitude that more players and it's tough right now for disc golf athletes to like really make the sport a huge focus if they can't afford to be on tour and whatnot. But like, that just shows that somebody who is, you know, not one of the top FPO names who is much lower, I'll say rated, you know, we don't talk about ratings, but she's, we'll just say she's off the radar, yeah. but she was able to focus on disc golf and change things about her health and fitness. And like, you know, all the culmination of all these things allowed her to just win a tour event against all the names we expect to be winning. Um, and like that, 
is the attitude that more players need that could, you know, really change the atmosphere on tour and make it a lot more fierce. For sure. And speaking of fierce, Paige oh. Pierce struggled here. Uh, yeah. It was, it was interesting because um, to a certain point, you, you, I don't know, part of me feels like this course played a little bit to Paige's strengths and the distance required. But at the same time, it also yeah. asked for a lot of forehands, which I think is why you see Sarah Hokum and Ella Widboom up there. Right. right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's not a huge shock that Paige didn't win. You know, you'd almost it's always a shock that Paige didn't win. But at, at this course, it makes sense that a, a forehand dominant player would win. Um yeah, but to not even she see kept her. sniffing the lead. Yeah. She kept sniffing the lead a few times, but and every time she got close, I was kind of thinking, "Oh, well, here it comes." You know, now she's going to take over, and then she just wouldn't. I feel like every time we talk about Paige being dominant, she goes and loses the next event. Yeah. At this point, um, but the FPO field, you know, after the first few events, the FPO field has started to get you know really interesting, and once again, we're still without a lot of players mm-hmm. who I mean, didn't did there was just a big. Um, finish event wasn't there? there there was and for the women most of the you know henna bloom rose uh pr- believe kristen tatar and evelina were all there um yeah and so those players as they make their way back to the states once you know covid allows them to it's gonna get interesting it'll definitely it'll definitely make things interesting but because they're no joke over there in finland no no not at all and i think that they're th- them being in the states is going to be key to fpo kind of taking off and, and getting some more momentum right. behind it. Um, but an, another thing that I noticed about this tournament, and then it made me kind of look back at other tournaments, is the scoring differential between FPO and MPO. Uh, I don't know if this is the same in golf. It could just be completely normal. But to me, I think it's weird that the courses are set up, the tees are set up, the pars are set up, that FPO is going to have the winner be 35 strokes different than the MPO winner. Yes. Um, so in ball golf, uh, as far as like the PGA and the LPGA, the only ball golf courses, the way they're designed, um, the tee boxes are very, you can be moved back and forth mm-hmm. super easy without affecting a line off a tee like you would in disc yeah. golf. So the only difference between the ladies' tees and the men's tees is the ladies' tees are a little bit closer. And and frankly, at the highest level of ball golf, some of those ladies can absolutely mash. Yeah. So like it's not even that much of a difference, which is why they shoot similar scores to what the men will shoot mm-hmm. at a course. I think in disc golf, it's tougher to um, do that with the tees without changing the hole um, because of the way disc golf works, there's typically, especially in a woods course, there's typically a tight line yeah. off of a, a tee box. So I think that's where the issue is. Well, then should we be um, looking at changing the pars instead? So instead, no. like if it's a, if we're both team, let's say they're both team, they're playing from the same course. Well, in a MPO, it's a par 68. What if FPO, it's a par 78? And the tough par threes and fours are just bumped up to par fours and fives. Yeah, I think that, I mean... For one thing, par is relative, yes. but I do understand, you know, the allure of like, we want the women to be finishing under par, well, I think, you know, like, yeah. I think, I think that's tough just even from, for their perspective, just like, I don't want to be winning and shooting eight over. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, shooting under par, even though par is relative, shooting under par is still attractive. Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, you can change the par on the course but I think it does make things a little more confusing maybe. And it's just like with the men's, with the men's courses, we have issues with par as well, as far as, well, is that a tweener? Is that, you know, ungettable par three? There's always going to be issues with par. So it's almost like why even bother in my opinion? I, to, like, I get, le- I can like, let's just leave it how it is. I can understand that. But so to I think that part of the, part of the reason you want to watch coverage, right. Is to watch people do what you can't do. You know, that's the reason I watch the NBA. That's the reason I watch any sport is because I like watching someone dunk a basketball. I like watching Paul throw drives and have eagle putts. So okay, I'm wondering yeah. if just changing the par will change our mindset. Because, you know, no offense, but, like, I don't want to watch bogey golf sometimes. So if yeah. if they're laying up 
or Paige has eagle putts now instead of birdie putts, and the rest of the FPO field can get up and down and get birdies and stuff. Well, I, to me, at least for me as a viewer, that makes it more interesting for me because now, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not really watching coverage and sitting back. If I'm not at the course, I'm not sitting back watching coverage going, oh my gosh, that was such an easy par four. I'm just saying, oh, that was yeah. a sick, oh wow, that was a star frame. That was sick. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering if it would change the mindset to make the coverage and tournaments be more interesting because at the end of the day, who's who's sitting here going, oh my word, Ellen Woodboom shot eight over par to win the event. Imagine if the par was changed and we could be like, Ellen Woodboom, final round, if the par was changed, let's say 10 strokes, she shot 10 down her final round to come back and win this thing versus she shot even par to come back and win. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I guess it's just I'd have to like look and see you know, how much par could be tampered with without making it um, just not seem right. Yeah. Um, because, like, let's say you have a 390-foot par 3, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the guys are reaching it, but then the girls aren't. I don't want to see Paige Pierce have a 40-foot jump putt, you know, yeah. to get up and down for birdie. Every time. Now, I mean, yeah, like that – there's still that gap in the women's game mm-hmm. a little bit where some of the distance throwers would just ab- just abuse some of those like short par threes and par fours. Um, so mostly we... par fours and par fives, I would guess. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if we should look at instead, you know, Ledgestone is doing this where FPO is playing a completely different course from MPO all week. Um, Is that something that maybe we should look at instead? Is instead of adjusting pars, maybe it's adjusting the course. So like Sunset Hill is going to play pretty well to the FPO field to where the winner is probably going to be under par. And, you know, maybe that's something that's more looked at or maybe even separating the weekends they're playing these courses so that one week the pin position can be set up for the MPO and the next week it's set up for the FPO. And the you know that's that's a that's a thought. Maybe the FPO, I don't think we're quite at this time, but at some point I think the FPO needs to be on a different tour. It needs to be the right. LDGPT and the DGPT because that would solve a lot of issues that the women are dealing with, like tee times or you know the par thing or the amount of bathrooms on a course or whatever the things that you know aren't geared towards women because it's a, you know, that you have the MPO and you have the FPO both coming to the same event right now. So you're going to gear towards the one that has more players in it. When you have 150 MPO players coming and you have 30 FPO players, the TD is obviously going to be more worried about the 150 MPO players just by number wise. You know what I mean? You take the gender yeah, out of sense. it. You're, you're looking at, I have, a, I have 180 players coming and 150 of them are in one division. I'm going to be more worried about that one division versus if we could get the FPO player field, you know, at a tour event up to 72 plus where it's, you could have a a sustaining tour them on tour and that they're the only ones there. So the whole tour, the whole coverage, everything that weekend is focused on FPO. If we can get the sport to that soon, I feel like that would solve a lot of these issues because then the course could be set up for them. The coverage is set up for only them, you know, the TD yeah. is focused on only the FPO, so he can take care of a lot of stuff that might be getting pushed, you know, to the wayside right now because it's on his long list of things to get done. Uh, I just feel like that might be a yeah, solution. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's that's definitely the long term. I think probably what everybody wants. It's just yeah, like you said, a matter of um, the FPO being able to sustain its own tour mm-hmm. because right now, I mean, we throw every resource we have at the pro tour yeah. just to get. You know, we're just now getting to the point where the coverage looks good. You know, everything seems to run kind of smooth. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, because like the L- LPGA Tour is its own separate thing. I mean, they um, play completely different events on a completely different schedule. It's 100% different. And, you know, maybe it starts with um, the FPO kind of separating off and doing maybe a smaller scale tour, because if you're not on the same schedule, like yeah. if they're not saying, well, we have to go play at somewhere near Ledgestone this week, we can play anywhere. Then it's very flexible once you're on your own, mm-hmm. but they have to have more players 
um, more good players, um, and just they have to have the audience yeah. for it. So I think that's down the road what's going to happen. It's just not quite there yeah, yet. It's just a matter of time of when is when is the right time. Because right. I think another thing, too, is obviously going to be the added cash and figuring out the payout. Exactly. Because if right now, mo- I don't want to say most, but a lot of FPO players can tour with MPO players and you can split the cost. Um, if the tour is separated, you know, obviously one of the things that would have to be addressed is the added cash would have to be now for two separate events instead of just into one pool and you have to market it as two separate tours instead of one tour. So we're definitely not there yet because, you know, you have to make it where the FPO, you know, you can package it to get that outside sponsorship the same as you can package it to get the outside MPO sponsorship type of a thing to where they both can survive on tour since they're on separate tours. Um, but I think there's yeah. there's got to be some things we can do right now. First off, I've said this several times. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but I've said it several times. The stream needs to be separated again. It needs to have an FPO live stream and an MPO live stream. And I say that because the whole reason of putting them together, right, was to draw more viewers to the FPO. Great motivation. I'm behind you. You're getting more eyes on FPO. But the way in which they're accomplishing that is by interrupting the back nine of MPO coverage. So yeah, what that just can't what I think is going on is there, I don't have any problem with it, with watching the, the FPO and the timing-wise, but I think what's happening right now is people watching the MPO coverage that are then being interrupted on the back nine with the FPO starting are getting frustrated with FPO. They're not really getting frustrated with Pro Tour or whatever. They're saying, oh my gosh, why is FPO keep coming on? To where yeah. they're not wanting to watch that coverage. So I think it, it's it was a great motivation that is yielding a negative result, in my opinion. I almost think it would be better for FPO if they had a separate stream that wasn't getting as many viewers, but everyone watching it was wanting to watch them and was being encouraging and you know was there to support instead of watching MPO and having FPO almost forced on them during their live stream. There's some that are there that want to watch it, yes, but the comments are always going to be the people that are negative, and that's just going to be a bad look for the Pro Tour and for FPO when FPO can't really do anything about it at this point. It's all in the Pro Tour's hands. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, there's one thing if, yeah, like do a separate stream, and, you know, obviously every once in a while on the MPO stream, just say, hey, you know, Make sure to check out our FPO stream going on. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right in saying that they're drawing just like negative energy towards the FPO because nobody wants – when you click to watch something, you want to watch that thing, yeah. not that plus every once in a while an interruption. So like if somebody wants to watch FPO, they can – they'll go watch the separate stream. Yeah, and have so, st- I think the timing of the streams right now is fine. You know – even yeah. if they wanted to flip it, because I saw some, uh, I think Hannah Macbeth tweeted how she didn't like teeing off later in the day, um, which, uh, you know, th- they might need to, like, take a poll of the FPO field or something or and the MPO field and figure out what is the preferred thing, because, you know, last year the FPO was complaining about teeing off early and wanted to tee off when the men teed off, and then once that happens, you know, other players are now complaining that their round's finishing at 7. So there's got to be some type of solution switching courses would be that solution because they're both playing the same schedule but you know if they're playing the same course we got to figure something out with that but have it where it's still like front nine and then whatever other cards teen off during the back nine but they're two separate streams so if you're a person who wants to watch both you just pull up two separate tabs and you have the fpo and one the mpo and one and you decide when you're switching you know what i mean yeah. That just to me, that's I personally when they did when they used to have them two separate streams, that's what I did. And yeah, it's just like it's just like channel surfing between you know different football games, yeah. you know, or whatever. Like if you can just click back and forth, people will do that. They'll see okay, they threw their men through their drives. I think there would be more people watching it because they could see okay, so the the MPO just threw their drives. They're walking up to it. Let's switch over. Yeah. Okay, now they just threw a shot. Let's switch back over. I think that draws more people anyways. That makes, I mean, it might not numbers-wise, but the numbers of engaged viewers who are being right. supportive of the FPO would definitely go up. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Um, now, what the logistics are for that, you know, obviously, well, first off, hot take number one, Jamie needs to get go. out of the commentary booth anyways. Secondly, oh. <laughs> secondly, is anybody like a diehard 
Jamie fan out if there. If so, I want to meet him. Because um, I haven't because met him yet. I'm really curious. I think he has blackmail on like some certain people <laughs> in disc golf that he's like that he's like stayed around because he's one of those that just doesn't make sense. Like, why does everybody feel obligated to have him? Yeah. Do commentary like. I don't get I it. I don't Because like, I don't see people commenting like, man, Jamie was on point no. today. Like, just killed that commentary. Yeah, like, I, I don't see he, that either. Like, who even is that guy? Like, where did he come from? <laughs> yeah. I know he did spin TV stuff, but, like, it wasn't good either. Yeah, I don't – I've that's always been a brain teaser for me. I don't know. But regardless, you need – you'll yeah. you'll need double – one more commentator, basically, is what I'm saying. Because you'll need two on the MPO right. and two on the FPO, whereas right now Jamie's on both. Um, so you'll have to figure right. that out. But that's up to the Pro Tour. They obviously have some some reason. And, you know, maybe the majority that I hear is not the majority they hear. And maybe there's a ton of people out there that just are diehard Jamie fans. I don't know. I, yeah, I guess. I haven't met one. I, but, I haven't either, so. But maybe maybe they're out there. But regardless of, regardless of, you know, that, um, I, I just think that the split stream is the way to go. You know, I, I just... I I get what they were doing, but it's like Brody said in last week's podcast. Um, if you guys haven't listened to it yet, you should go back and listen to that. But he was talking about the Pro Tour right now should be in like an experimental phase of, right. you know, let's try this week. Let's split the stream, which I think they actually are for Ledgestone because Paige's feature card tees off at 9 a.m. and Paul's feature card tees off at 3 p.m. So they must be splitting the stream for Ledgestone. It might just be because it's at two different courses. Um, but regardless, it looks like they're doing this. But, you know, try it for one week. Get get some feedback. Yeah. You know, it, it, you don't have to fully Disc golf commit. in general is in that phase. Yeah. Like, we should just be trying everything right now because the sport, we're getting close to where we're going to have so many people seeing the sport that we don't, we're not there. Yeah. But we're, right now, we are still gaining our audience. So, like, let's throw a bunch of ideas in there and just see what works mm-hmm. and what doesn't because stuff can be removed easily. Exactly. We're, we're not at a time where we have it set and the, you know, there's sponsors relying on it being done this way or whatever. We're, Ex- that's the big thing. Yeah. That's the big thing. We're, like, we're not the there pro yet. Tour, yeah. They, the pro tour needs to be marketing themselves better and gaining like tour wide sponsors. But right now they don't. So they're not like, they're not held responsible by anybody but themselves yeah. and their audience um so like just try stuff yeah let's just like i think brody said last week there's throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks like let's just let's just yeah. try one week hey this week it we're only doing live coverage this week let's just see yes people will say they're outraged but let's see what the numbers look like okay next week you know joma's and everything back all right week after that let's try holding post produce for a week and see what's going on yeah you know it doesn't have to be like steve dodge I think Steve Dodge had the idea of what the future of disc golf will look like with his media plan, where it was like live coverage, it was all through the Pro Tour or whatever, but he just did it so fast. Like, he just was like, out yeah. of nowhere, hey, next season, this is what we're doing. No ifs, ands, or buts, we're not testing it, no nothing, you know, you don't get a say in it, this is what we're doing, which was the wrong way to go about it. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you have to phase something like that in and test it here and there, see what the audience likes, what the audience is going to respond to. And then go with those results to get you where you want to be, but do it the way that, you know, you're going to bring everyone with you instead of polarizing and dividing out where, you know, Sexton's like, I'm not even playing a pro tour because you're not letting me do commentary. You know, there's so many players that were like protesting the pro tour back then because just because of the media mm-hmm. decision. That's not what you want, but no one's going to protest no. the pro tour if you're like, hey, we're just trying this for one week. We just want to see, we just want to get some numbers and see what it looks like. Who's going to be upset at that? And if they are, they'll get over it pretty fast. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to. Now, I can see people getting upset because right now it's behind a paywall. So I think if you did that, you'd have to be like, yes, we're only doing live this week, but we're going to make all four rounds free because we want to test this out. You know, it had to be something like that. <sighs> yeah. You know, I, I think it would be a bad look if you're like, hey, next week's tournament or Green Mountain Championships that everyone wants to watch. It's only going to be behind the paywall. That's the only way you can watch it. That would not come across good. Um, <laughs> that would just, yeah, I, you know, that would put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. But stir the pot. Yeah. But if you went just like, we're, hey, Green Mountain Championships, we're going to test out only doing it live. We just want to see what type of viewerships we're at right now and stuff like that. How many people will actually watch live to gauge some numbers? We're, that's what we're going to do for this event. And then we'll be back to regular media next week. I mean, what's the harm in that? 
Yeah, I mean that's I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah, I think I, I it's gonna be interesting to see if the the Pro Tour has some stuff like that up their sleeves as we head into next year. But another thing that's gonna be very interesting to see is are they able to pull off live streaming from Northwoods? They struggled with it a lot at Worlds last year. I think they were yeah. kind of able to do it the last round or the last round at Northwoods, but I know the first round we were live on Instagram, the PDGA was live on their Facebook, and like that was it. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was your only live. It was coverage. disastrous. Yeah, because the even this year, my phone doesn't work at Northwoods. I'm having to send iMessages as text messages, and I'm not loading my Instagram <laughs> stories posted when I got back to the hotel, like. The cell service yeah, didn't magically improve. So, you you got to think they that they're smart enough to have a plan, but man, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes that sometimes I doubt the pro tour. So I was told they were out testing it this morning. Um, they should have been out testing it a month ago. Yes, but I was told they were out testing it some this morning, and from what I heard, they were like three holes in, and they're like, "Oh, coverage is great out here," which I hope that's not all they tested because. Yeah, there's a lot more than three yeah, holes. The struggle for my phone is once you get to like the back nine, like ten hole, hole ten beyond. My phone just is like, no, we're not working here. Yeah. So you know, it might. That's be, just not it. it like yeah. testing it a few days before the event, only going in three holes. Like, hopefully that's things, not all. That's the other thing. But that's all I heard. Like, um, yeah. Imagine, imagine like if we need to get to the point where the pro tour can. Um, sell media rights, mm-hmm. you know, then they're going to be held to a standard. And when that live stream, that live stream is going to be everything for them. Yeah, uh, like they they can't be messing around with that. You know, it's one thing to make your fans upset, but it's another thing to make the people who just paid you a large sum of money to advertise. You know, can't make them upset. No, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if like they they did like we're going to cover. They had like a certain number of holes that they knew they always had good coverage on. And so they were going to like cover the lead group team off on one and maybe cover them through two and three. And then when they lose coverage, we're going to jump over to whatever cards on seven, follow some of the like hotter rounds going on through that little stretch until the lead card gets there type of a thing. Um, yeah. So that you have a lot of golf to watch, but they can, avo- they can kind of work around the, they can work around the bad spotty st- stuff and then just have a camera out there to record so you can send it back to the the studio if like an ace happens or some crazy throw-in. So you can be like, oh, this just happened moments ago. Paul Macbeth threw in from 400 feet on hole, whatever. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to yeah. see that to like that type of coverage. But it, you know, I'll be on the course, but I'll probably still be pulling up Disc Golf Network to see what are we looking like here. You know, what what's going on? What's going down? What's their coverage looking like? Especially for the yeah. the FPO team off early. I'm I'm interested to see kind of what their game plan is there with their with their stream. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we yeah. Let's get into some some predictions for Ledgestone as we kind of wrap out this podcast. Uh, why don't you know? I'll go first. The MPO. I'll give you my top three right. for MPO. You know, I, I think Paul is going to be so mad about last week that I don't really think the field stands a chance. Um, so I'm going. You Paul. would like to think so. Yeah, I'm going Paul for the win. I will say. His putter the past two weeks on tour has been, I don't want to say hit or miss, but to a certain degree, a little hit or miss. Um, so streaky. Yeah. yeah, to where sometimes he's just feeling it, and other practice rounds he just seems to be a little bit off. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of see what, what happens there. But I just feel like knowing Paul, knowing how upset he was after Idlewild, I wouldn't want to be in the field playing against him this week. Um, so I think Paul wins. I think Emerson Keith, you know, he was talking at Idlewild about how he was so excited to get back out here to these courses. Um, I think he's extremely comfortable on it, especially after how he played at worlds last year. And I think he's just ready to get back to, to these courses and just light them up. So I'm picking Emerson coming in second and the third coming in third place. I have Chris Dickerson. I think Northwoods really plays to his strengths. Um, okay. I I think he's going to, and, to, in my opinion, this tournament's won or lost at Northwoods. Eureka Temp, um, if you're on, you know, and you're staying in bounds, you're yeah. not going to lose as many strokes as you could lose at Northwoods. So, right, I'm basing these decisions on players playing at Northwoods, and I think Northwoods is a great course for Chris. And coming off of his hot finish at Idlewild, 
Um, I just think he's going to be riding some momentum and hungry for chasing down a win. So I'm, I'm going with Chris rounding out my top three. All right. Um, so my top three, a bit different. Um, I'll start with third. Okay. We'll make it a little more, you know, exciting, I guess. <laughs> uh, third place, I'm going to go with Kevin Jones. Mm, okay. I've been, imp- I've been impressed with Kevin Jones golf this year. Um, he seems like more of a threat to win. Uh, in years past, I'm like, yeah, he's got talent and every once in a while breaks out, but like he's, he's really hanging around this year, like in top tens, um, and top fives even. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like he's going to kind of stay around that cusp. I don't know if he's, I mean, I'm sure he'll have a breakthrough win at some point, but, um, I, I like the way I like his game because he doesn't, you know, forehand, backhand, you know, his putt, I think can be a little off and on, but he doesn't have a ton of weaknesses, yeah. you know, throws a mile. So I, yeah, I like Kevin Jones for third. Second, I'm going with Paul. Um, okay. yeah, I, I'd like to say this isn't out of spite, but it kind of is <laughs> because I'm just sick of him losing to be honest. And therefore I'm not going to predict him to win again and look like an idiot. Okay. So I can respect that. I'm going to give, I'm going to give Paul second and, you know, prove me wrong, you know, yeah. Sell some putters for us, huh? <laughs> you know? What else are you out there for? <laughs> Wearing that foundation logo. Come on. <laughs> He's killing me, man. Morale at the at the office is at an all-time low. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm warning. I'm sending out a warning right now. If Paul McBeth doesn't win this event, he's coming home to something shocking. That's all I have to say. We'll well, now I kind of hope he loses because I want to see it. we'll just say it'll be the last straw um (laughs) and if i couldn't spite him any further to pick my winner i'm gonna go with richard wysocki solid pick um i think ricky is playing i'm i'm happy that ricky's back and i've been saying that and i think he's due for his breakthrough win yeah so i think it's just a matter of time before he um puts it all together for Mm -hmm. you know a weekend and, and gets it done so i'm gonna say ricky this uh, this week at Ledgestone, bring home the the big check. What is the purse, by the way? I actually don't Let me know. Go ahead and it's normally let me take a look at it's that. It's normally in six figures for Ledgestone. I almost put Ricky Emerson Paul, but I didn't want it to be the world's like just full repeat of last year's world. So I was like, do I want to take Ricky I'm or not Emerson? Seeing, out? So I took. I'm not seeing a purse on the PDGA. I guess they might not have it listed. It might not. It's normally listed after the payout is done. Yeah. Um, but it, it's normally six figures well, plus. At this event. Knowing the PDGA and disc golf in general, Ricky will probably win with a six-figure purse and make like two grand. So, <laughs> I mean, what what is there to say? We'll have a lot to say about that next week, I'm sure, because I'll get ticked off at the at the purse again. So probably, um, yeah. But yeah, Ricky's a great pick. I, I, you know, he he lit up last the last two rounds at Worlds last year. I think he went like 13 down, 11 down, or something like that. Yeah, uh, it was yeah. it was ridiculous two rounds. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him up there. Either, but what about for FPO? Who you, who you got your top three for FPO? So FPO, you know, Sunset Hills the FPO. This could be very interesting. Yes, I feel like I feel like we're gonna see kind of the what we've been seeing lately in that there's a little bit more parity and diversity in who's you know rounding out the leaderboards for the FPO, which is great. Um, I'm gonna take Haley King for third. Okay. Big fan of Haley King. I'm I'm really rooting for her, so I want to pick her. I think she's good for the FPO and good for the sport. Uh I think she's marketable. Yeah. For FPO. For sure. Um I'm gonna go ahead and take Sarah Hokum second. Okay. And uh she's just been playing she's just consistent, yeah. you know. Um she's been playing pretty well. And then I'm gonna take Paige in first. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty impossible for me not to. I know she didn't play that well this week, but we're going to have different golf at Ledgestone yeah. and she's still the best FPO player by, in my opinion, quite some. Yeah. So. I mean, they're, they're playing a wide open course at, or not wide open, yeah. but pretty much it. They're playing a golf course hybrid yeah. all four rounds. She's going to straight. It, it's hard not to pick Paige. So I'm picking Paige as well as my winner. Um, but coming in second, I'm picking Katrina Allen. She, and the reason behind that is I, I still think that she is the best thrower of a disc in the FPO field. 
I think that wow. It, I think throwing wise, she's better than Paige, but her putt okay. is not good enough for her to win. Um, so if she can get her putt together, I think she could challenge Paige, but I just don't think that's going to happen. So I have Katrina coming in second, and then third place. I've been really liking this person's play all year, and they're really able to put rounds together and. You know, they've been surprising me year round. So I'm going with Missy Gannon coming in third place. Yeah. Um, Solid pick. You know, I don't know how much this course plays to her strengths, but in general, she seems to be a good, well rounded player. Um, She's well rounded. And yeah. so I, I don't, I'm not really too worried about this course not playing to her strengths. I thought about throwing like a Jennifer Allen or something in there, but we haven't seen her on, on tour for a while. So it's hard to predict how she's going to yeah, go. It's, um, yeah, it's been a while. But, but I think Missy Gannon's a, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me at all to see her in the top three. So I, I'm I'm happy with putting her in third place. So Paige, Katrina, Missy Gannon. And then the final pick here, you know, something we started a few weeks ago, uh, which last week, you know, this is the Dark Horse pick. The only rule behind the Dark Horse pick is they have to be below 980 rated because we want to highlight lower tier players pl- playing in the open level. We don't like ratings here. And this is kind of our way to say, screw you to sure ratings. Uh, low rated players can can tear up a course too which you know so far both weeks at least one of us has picked a player that has proven that right um yeah my guy last week uh trevon trayvon trevon i like crow. trayvon trayvon crow trayvon okay well i kind of just picked him on a whim i typically look for for local guys i don't even think he was local though i just saw he'd been playing some decent golf it's like 970 rated or so um and finished well under par played darn well and yeah. destroyed hunter's pick so yeah I, you know my pick his first name was ian we won't talk about his last name because you don't have to look him up uh he did not he did not pull through for me um <laughs> so what it's it's one to one one to one for this for this for the season Which, my boy phil broke his foot at like the next tournament after i picked him wow yeah. the hunter curse I don't the, know. the hunter dark horse curse possibly i saw him at better the keep course an eye today. on your buddy ian <laughs> I, I saw him at the course today he was out here walking with a with a boot on and so i Pulled a, a jawbreaker wasp that will be dropping at the Ledgestone Fly Mart. Uh, if you're wow. here, Ooh. yeah, we got. They're pretty money. I pulled one out of the back of the car and threw it to him, and uh, he was pretty stoked about that. But um, my dark horse pick that for this week, uh, I did a little bit of research on him. I looked at last year's Worlds. He placed okay, but he's been playing pretty good golf all year this year. Uh, I think he's sponsored by Prodigy on their street team, possibly, or maybe actually on their real team. But Zach Kemmer is who I'm going with. Uh, I think he's in the 970s rated, but I don't know. I have a good feeling. I, I like my pick. So I'm going with Zach. Right. We'll see kind of how he does. Make sure you star him in disc so you can kind of keep up with mine and Trevor's Dark Horse picks. But Zach Kemmer, Z-A-K. All right. I'm uh, So my pick... Going with a guy out of North Adams, Michigan, Jared Stoll. Oh, okay. PGA number 68103. Yeah, uh, I've heard him before. Been around for a while. Been around for a while. He's played a lot of golf this year, and as of recently, you know, had some pretty good results. Um, he just played a Ledgestone Flex event. Hmm. Um, I should have looked into so, those. <laughs> yeah. I should have I picked, made my that, pick huh? from that. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. He didn't like dominate it or anything, but you know, he's seen he's seen the course. He seemed you know? comfortable. Yeah. So you know, kind of a mid rated guy, but I kinda just go with my gut with these picks and it's worked, you know, twice. Yeah. So our our first week was very close. Uh we, we both yeah. both of our players the first week tore it both up. Both guys played well. So, you know, the, the first week we kinda both won, but my guy just happened to, to out your guy a little bit, so uh, we'll, we'll see who breaks yeah. the tie going into the third week here. And I'm going to let you take on this foundation news segment. Uh, what what kind of new stuff do we have dropping on the site right now since you've been kind of holding right. down home for it? Yeah, so a lot of uh, exciting things starting to roll in. Uh, we just had kind of a silent restock. I think if you were a Patreon, you kind of got a little heads up on that. Um, we still have a lot of that left from the restock. We didn't, you know, it hasn't been cleared off our shelves. Mostly Lunas, if you're in the market for a stock stamp Luna. We have a lot of cool ones right now. A lot of cool blue colors, green, grays, all I that. I saw some Storm Cloud, um, which I don't know what that color technically some is. Some Storm Cloud, hey, it's like a purplish gray, if you nice. guys are interested in that. Okay. Um, but a lot of cool foils, too. So Lunas are in right now. We have a few other uh, molds in there that 
uh, we're a little more limited. Still have some Zeus's in stock. Um, but some of the bigger news is apparel. So by the time mm-hmm. you all are listening to this, there should be a few new um, apparel items online. Um, if you didn't, if you missed it, we did get towels and water bottles kind of recently. Uh, the towels been popular so far. They're super sweet. Yeah, we'll probably place um, a reorder. Turned out those. Yeah, they turned out great. People seem to have uh, liked them and been ordering them. Um, but we do have a lot more shirts coming in. So uh, we have all new designs, if I'm correct, right, Hunter? Well, we, These are all we new designs. the one line. I think that's the only Except for old. the one line. So the one line dry fit, which ended up being really popular, we're restocking. We actually added, we have all the colors we did before, and then we added in a gray as a new color. Um, so those are back. We have plenty of those um, for y'all to order again. And then we have a few new designs uh, kind of tailored more towards our lifestyle brand. We have some uh, Supreme Flight. And then um, we're getting a bunch of new stuff in with um, Paul Brody's, Paul and Brody's um, individual logos that are pretty sweet. And I think you guys are like. Um, so make sure to keep an eye on the apparel. It's going to keep rolling in. We had a lot ordered. So just kind of keep an eye on our apparel and all of our social media because we'll be announcing it. Um, and make sure to check that out because the apparel game over at foundation is starting to pick up and it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked to get home and, and grab a few of those shirts myself because. And stay and stay tuned. Well, we've mentioned this before, but in the near, near future, I think next there week. is a very next week. Hopefully, next week. hopefully. If UPS can find our store, <laughs> there is a very – they almost ran me over the other day, but I secured that restock for you all. Just remember this. Um, <laughs> there is a very special drop, and we're going to need everybody hyping it up. Um, it's it's going to be great. You guys are going yeah. to have a lot of fun with it, I think. So we're we're pretty excited for, for it. And the final bit of news is Trevor and I have officially signed up. For our first tournament of 2020. We sure have. It, I don't know. You know, it's going to be a lot more public than any tournament I've ever played in before as far as people having their eyes on whatever the heck I'm about to put up. But the first tournament I'm going to play by myself because Trevor didn't get into it before. Well, it I'm on the wait list. Oh, you're on the wait list. I'm on the wait list. But I'm like I'm like nine deep. So, so if anybody knows the TD I know for the whatever TD. that event is, anybody other than Hunter that can't be <laughs> held liable knows the TD. Go ahead and, you know, slip him a few bucks, you know. I didn't say that, but... <laughs> it's definitely not on record on a but, podcast, but... But, you know, make something happen. See if my name just slides its way up into that event. That one's like at the end of August, though. I have no business playing in that. Yeah, that's in 17 days, and I haven't started but, practice putting yet. Yeah, you're toast. But I'm screwed. The real news, the real news is October 24th and 25th is all Heiser's Eve. It's at a course called Greenfield in and Virginia, Mayflower. which is two courses and mayflower two monster courses great courses some of the best ones in this area and it's my mpo debut there we go <laughs> um going in 935 rated uh very much under the radar but <laughs> you know i'm curious to know if i've been i haven't played competitively in so long that i'm curious to know if i can like adopt a mindset that like i don't really care that much anymore so like surely i can't be sweating over a 10 footer but as knowing myself as, as i'm gonna you try really... tournament you're sweating over a 10 footer yeah no as soon as i get in the car on the way there start blasting music trying to get myself psyched <laughs> like i'm about to play in game seven of the nba finals like i'm too much of like into sports that like i know i'm gonna like pump myself up like i'm about to like fight conor mcgregor for the for the belt <laughs> When really I'm trying to like keep my little 250 foot hyzers out of the trees <laughs> against whatever Virginia locals show up. It's going to be exciting though. It's going to be fun. We'll definitely try to get some kind of media surrounding it. Try to film it for your entertainment. If nothing and, else, hopefully you know, there's if live I shoot, If I can't shoot my rating at this point, I might resign from the sport of disc golf. So, You know, I wish I could say same, but I'm not confident that I'm shooting 960 golf the first tournament I go out there. I'm not confident in that at all, actually. We'll find out. Well, we're we'll about find to find out. out. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, sorry for probably the, the bad quality on, on both ends a little bit. Well, hopefully it kind of all worked together. But next week we'll be back in the studio and everything will be back to, to normal. Um, 
but hopefully you enjoyed this this podcast from the road and got some good insights into kind of what's going on and stuff like that make sure to check us out on all of our social media and if you want more short little bites from previous episodes check out our grip locked podcast youtube channel um which has a bunch of clips from pretty much every episode we record if you want to consume the podcast that way but i think that's about it and we will talk to you guys next week